What modern leader triggered a locust epidemic in his country? <laughs> Not always a good thing. Okay, and who are Ping, Pang, and Pong? Hmm, answers to those <laughs> and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with tantalizing facts and fascinating trivia. Wait a minute. Fascinating facts and tantalizing <laughs> trivia. Uh, Marcia, <laughs> yes. what, what leader? Now, this is a modern leader. By that, I mean in the last 60 to 70 years. Okay. <laughs> what leader triggered a locust epidemic in his country? Well, it's not here, I take it. No, not is in the United in, States. Is it in India? No, it's not India. Is it in... Um, it was that part of the world, though. Yeah, I was going to say, it was in the Mideast. No. Locust, locust. Can you give me a country? Then I have to guess the person. China. No. China? Okay, who was the person? Ah, Oh, Ling Lang Lung. No, Chairman Mao. Oh, was it Mao? Chairman Mao. This happened in 1958. He led a campaign to eliminate the sparrow from China. (gasps) Really? Why? Well, he thought that the bird was a grain-stealing pest. It did steal grain. Oh. However, the sparrow also ate insects. Oh, God. And according to Britannica.com, as the sparrow population declined, the locust population exploded. And that devastated Chinese crops for years years. It proves the law of unintended Unintended consequences. consequences. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay, Marsha, what was your question? Who are Ping Pang and Pong? These are Chinese emperors before (laughs) Mao. No, I don't don't know who Ping Pang and Pong are. That's not a bad guess. Ping Pang and Pong, are these animals from China? No. Ping Pang and Pong sounds Asian. It is. And where does it come from? It comes from a Puccini opera, Turandot. Turandot. Yes, and Turandot is a princess who tends to kill anybody who wants to marry her if they can't name three riddles. Oh, <laughs> or, where, where does this take place? In China. Oh, so it is based in China. Yeah. The opera was based but in China. But the, the Ping Pang and Pong are ministers of state and they're sages and they try to ward off the guy, Prince Kalof, not to pursue this woman because he's going to get killed. Oh, Prince Kalof, he's a leader and they're his right-hand men. They are the princess right-hand guys. Ah. And, uh, and she doesn't know he's a prince. And I'm sure there are doors that everybody goes in and out of. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so Ping Pang and Pong are saying to him, don't go after this princess. Yeah, yeah, she is it, evil. Well, yeah. And you're going to die if you can't answer the three riddles. And there could be a locust plague. Who knows? <laughs> it's always something. <laughs> it's always something. That's interesting. Okay. All right. Marcia, how big was the world's largest round pizza? There are different pizzas. Oh, there are. There's round pizzas. There's rectangular pizzas. This sounds like the Guinness Book of Records it question. Is. It is a Guinness Book of Records question. Is it question. from America? No, it's from Italy. Italy. And they had the big, okay, I'll say across, 15 feet across. 15 feet across. That would be a big pizza, wouldn't it? But this one's bigger. This is (laughs) 13,580 square feet. The Italian pie dubbed Otavia holds the Guinness World Records. It's the largest round pizza in the world. So this was built by an Italian pizza chain mogul, Dovillo Nardi, and he built it in Rome in 2012. It was 130 feet across. So it's about the length of one and a half baseball fields. This is Italy again? Yeah, they did this for the record, of course. 
19,800 pounds of flour, 10,000 pounds of tomato sauce, 8,800 pounds of mozzarella cheese, 1,488 pounds of margarine, 551 blocks of rock salt, (laughs) 220 pounds of lettuce, 55 pounds of vinegar, and that added up to a 51,257-pound pizza pie. Okay, well, who got to eat it? The people who were there at the time. And guess what? It was (laughs) (laughs) gluten-free. Gluten-free. Well, then, let's have at it, Bob. And the gluten-free food company, Dr. Shar, they sponsored this whole thing. That's the largest round pizza. How long is the longest skinny rectangular pizza? Just give me an idea. Uh, 85 feet. A mile long. All right. <laughs> that was done in a, in a pizzeria in Naples. Where do you get an oven for them? Well, these ovens, like the first one, the big brown one, they bake that over 48 hours in I don't know how many ovens. And then they put it all together? Yeah, the same thing. Five traditional wood-burning stoves. I'm and... getting hungry, I'll tell you that, though. <laughs> I really am. These I'm are just... big pizzas. Okay, let's big, move along. Big pizzas. I want to go eat. Okay, Bob, whose faces? were originally supposed to be on Mount Rushmore. Well, let's see. They were presidents, weren't they? The original idea? No. Oh, they weren't? No. Oh, they weren't. No. I'll give you a clue. Okay. They were Western heroes. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Like Kit Carson and people like... That's one. No kidding. That's one. So Kit Carson was going to be one. Yeah. Okay, Wild Bill Hickok or Buffalo Bill, one of the two. No, I'm not sure. Who... Who is Jim Bridger? Oh, Jim Bridger, he was a famous explorer. And the third one, I think I know, John Coulter. Wasn't he the Colt 45? No, John Coulter is the guy who discovered, as a white person, the Grand Tetons through Yellowstone. Okay, so that's the three. But the sculptor, John Goodson Borglin, proposed that instead it should have the faces of four presidents, George Washington, Abe Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, and... Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. And they went along with it, whoever they were, and that's how we got it. Well, it was the uh, South Dakota wanted something to bring tourists, and that was the idea for it. Yeah. And, you know, over time, I think uh, John was a pretty smart cookie, huh? John did the right thing. He sure did. Some people said he was atoning for his other big sculpture down in Georgia, which is all the Confederate generals. Oh. oh. <laughs> At Stone Mountain. He, oh, he yeah? did that one, yeah. Wow. What? A- oh, he had a lot of different commissions. What a talent, huh? Oh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And he died while this was going on. His son had to finish it, so... Oh, did he? Yeah, and it was not a uh, public project. It was kind of a private project, and then the government took it over because it was like, well, we got to get this done. Well, who's doing Crazy Horse? That is another sculptor who also has passed away. Yeah, but his son is taking over. Yeah, same kind of thing where it was a multi-generational you know, project. It's beautiful. And it's still far from finished. Yeah. I saw it when I was a kid, and Chelsea you did? saw it. Our daughter saw that a few years ago, and it's still not finished. Yeah, it's going to take a while. And it's still out there. It's nearby. To the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, okay. close by. Okay. And how did the mountain get its name? Do you remember that? It was a guy named Rushmore. That's right. He was a lawyer. He used to come <laughs> out there. And he said, what's the name of that? And he goes, eh, it could be Rushmore. <laughs> and they did it. It sounds so noble. It was just a lawyer, huh? Well, I think he actually contributed some money yeah. to the project. Well, that often. Naming rights. You get it. It's very helpful. Absolutely. Okay, Marcia. I've got a question for you. In Denmark, there is a huge collection of human organs, 10,000 oh. of them, Swell. stored in plastic containers. What are they? What are the organs? Yes, what are the organs? One kind of organ? What kind of organs? Are they hearts? No. Are they kidneys? No. Uh, Are they kidneys? No. You said that twice? Lungs? No. I don't know. 
They are brains. Oh, it's the world's largest collection of brains. Yeah, the brain collection began just after the Second World War. It continued collecting into the early '80s. There are nine thousand four hundred seventy-nine brains stored in numbered white buckets, and they're in storage in basements at the Denmark University of Odense. Well, where did they come from? They were collected from psychiatric patients at all、oh. Danish psychiatric hospitals. Yeah, during autopsies. Was this legal? Doing autopsies back then were automatic first. Psychiatric patients and、uh-huh. the brains were collected without the knowledge or consent of their families.、Uh-huh. As one researcher told the BBC, the patients had been hospitalized for much of their life. wasn't normal to ask a patient for consent for anything.、Yeah. So the prevailing philosophy was, doctors decide for you. So over 40 years' time, they gathered these brains with many different diseases. And then finally, in the '90s, it was brought to public attention. And then there was the question: What do we do with these? Should we get rid of them? Should、yeah. we bury them? Yeah. But there was something different about them. What was so unique? Well, the oldest were collected 80 years ago, so these researchers can look at raw illnesses untouched by modern medication. Oh! So they can look at dementia and schizophrenia and other things without having any medication in those brains. Oh, well, that's cool. So they can test them and stuff. How are they stored? They're stored in these buckets at kind of room temperature in a basement. Couple of buckets inside each other. Yeah. They're in an odorless solution of formaldehyde in water, which it doesn't smell, and that's used chiefly for biological specimens. Now, modern brain banks they keep materials at minus eighty degree temperatures, but these have been on these rolling shelves for forty years, and they pull them out and they look at them. Oh man! They also have books and records. Information about each patient—they call them brain journals. So there's a lot of data, and the researchers at the University of Southern Denmark are currently working to digitize those records. I'm kind of torn about that. I mean, obviously, it's still rendering good things, but then part of you says these poor people, but their their brains are going to good use, right? Well, well, that was the dilemma when they discovered these. The first thing was we should bury these. We should get rid of these. Yeah. And someone else said it wasn't right that this happened, but wouldn't it be wrong to bury all these、yeah. when we can use these、yeah. for research? They're here. Yeah, it's it's an ethical conundrum. So the world's largest collection of brains. All right. Nine thousand four hundred seventy-nine brains. It's in Denmark. Okay, got it. <laughs> Now I just told you that right after the pizza story. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you hungry now?、Uh, here's a quickie. Okay. What major change happened to the White House during Martin Van Buren's term? Which was like 1837 to 1941. 1837. This is an actual physical change they made to the White House when he was in office. Does it have to do with the whitewash? The white?、Uh, no. No. Okay. So they did something in the 1840s. Yeah. For Martin Van Buren's time. Uh huh. And that was long before electricity, so it wasn't that. Uh huh. Hmm. I don't know. What's the answer? <laughs> You'll like this. They put a lock on the front door. <laughs> <laughs> the first lock on the front、yeah. door was 1840. Yeah, that's because、uh, old Van Buren came down one day and there was a vagrant sleeping on his couch. Oh my God! And they said, "Well, I guess we better put a lock on the front door." Oh, so funny. <laughs> funny. Can you imagine just having the front door open to the White House? Well, it was that way. People could come in easily. Yeah, it's the people's house. That's what they said. Yeah, but a little too much people. What about Martin Van Buren? What's distinctive about the way he was raised? 
I don't know, Bob. Dutch was his original language, his uh-huh. parents. He was raised with the, didn't speak English originally. Oh, okay. Lived here in America, obviously was born here, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Okay, Marsha, I have a question for you here. In the 1950s, Herb Alpert, remember the team on a brass? Uh, yeah. He helped write a very popular song for one of the top black singers of that day. What was the song that he wrote? This is in the 1950s. Oh, geez. Wrote it for a black singer of the day. Of the 50s. Nat King Cole? No. Um, no, it wasn't Sammy Davis. No. Okay, I'll give you a hint. Okay. Don't know much about history. Oh, that was uh, Sam Cooke. That's right. 1959. <laughs> was it? Wonderful World is the name of that. Oh, okay. So that was the one, and Herb Alpert was one of the co-writers. Mm-hmm. Sam Cooke was too, and so was uh, Lou Adler. I took. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But I do know that I love you, <laughs> and I know that you love me too. <laughs> okay. And what a wonderful world it would it, be. It would be. Okay. Well, if what? If we oh, never if mind. We could speak Jeez, French. Can't we just move on? <laughs> okay, Bob. What president? <laughs> what president had a wife who was a descendant of the Indian princess Pocahontas? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. One of the president's wives was supposedly descended from Pocahontas. Uh huh. Wow. See, you don't know everything. Well, I didn't say I know everything. I didn't say I knew everything. <laughs> or knowed everything. Either one. <laughs> Wow, that was bad grammar. Was this uh, in the latter 19th century or early 19th century? 20th century. Oh, the 20th century. Somebody who is related to... Okay, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say it's Calvin Coolidge's wife for some reason. I don't know why. (laughs) Okay, it was Woodrow Wilson. His second wife, Edith Bowling Galt Wilson, was first lady of the United States from 1915 to 1921. Mm. And she married him during the first term in office. That was his second wife. And she was related to Pocahontas. Yeah, who knew? Well, now you do. Okay, I've got a presidential question and a first lady question. Okay. How many divorcees have lived in the White House? How many divorced men became president? How many divorced women became first lady? First, let me give you a hint. Oh, okay. There have been two presidents who were married before and got divorced. Really? Now, there's other presidents who were married before, but their wives died before they became president, or wives died while they were president. Yeah, okay. But these two men were both married and divorced before they became president, and they're modern presidents. Really? I didn't know that. In your lifetime? In the last 40 years. Really? Yes. Uh, Well... Wasn't Clinton or LBJ or 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 oh Trump? Trump was one. That's right. Donald Trump was one. Neither Bush was remarried. No, no. And this guy was a movie star. Oh Reagan. Yeah, Ronald Reagan. Reagan and Trump, huh? Yeah. Okay. He was elected president in 1980. He had been married to uh, Gene Wyman, and after that, he got married to Nancy Davis. They were both actresses, and he had children with both of them. Okay. And Donald Trump has been married uh, three times, divorced twice, and he's had children with all three wives. Mm. Okay. Now, as for the first ladies, there have been three divorced first ladies. Shameful. That's that's true, Marsha. Who were they? Shameful. Any idea? (laughs) No. First one was Florence King Harding. She divorced before her marriage to future President Warren G. Harding. And then the second one was Betty Ford. Oh, really? She'd been married before. She was married to a young man, and then that didn't work out. And uh, then she met uh, Jerry when he was about to be a congressperson. Uh And then, let's see, who else? Jill Biden was married and divorced before she met Joe. I didn't know that. 
Who was the woman who almost became a divorced first lady but died before she was able to be first lady? Oh. A famous president. Yeah. He and his wife thought they were married legally, but she oh, yeah. actually hadn't got divorced yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of the early ones. Andrew Jackson. Yeah. His wife, Rachel. Andy and Rachel. Yes. She was married earlier to a man named Louis Robards, but that marriage failed. And then she eloped with Andrew in 1791, and they thought that Robards had secured a divorce for that marriage, but he hadn't. So they had to marry twice. And then that became a big election issue, and oh, all the yeah. stress of that caused... Uh, Rachel to either have a stroke or a heart attack, oh, and she geez. died. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. and uh, think she didn't live today. Andrew Jackson believed his political opponents hastened her death at her funeral. He said, may God Almighty forgive her murderers, as I know she forgave them. I never can. Ooh, wow. Yeah, the stress. And it was, your honor was everything back in the day. Yeah, I think he <laughs> fought numerous duels with people oh, over, over really? her uh, yeah, reputation everything. Uh, God, so little honor today. Okay, Bob, we are full of president questions today. What president lost eight elections, twice failed in business, had a fiancé die, and had a nervous breakdown? Answers to that coming up after this message, <laughs> and it gives me a time to Google the answer. I'll be back. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith, and we'll know be you better now. No, I won't do that. <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, we're back. And I didn't have enough time to Google that answer. <laughs> but I think the answer is actually Abraham Lincoln. That's correct. So give the question again and we'll give the answer. What president lost eight elections, twice failed in business, had a fiancé die on him, and had a nervous breakdown? God, obviously somebody who wouldn't amount to anything. <laughs> there was no chance of him doing anything important in American history. That's right. Abraham Lincoln. That's right. I didn't know he uh, had eight elections he tried yeah, to run for. Yeah, they weren't for. presidential, obviously, no. but he ran in eight different kinds of elections. And this was all before he got married and had all the tragedies in his life with his wife being a little off the off the rocker there and <laughs> some sons that died and, of course, getting assassinated. He, he had a pretty rough life. Yes, yes. What, a, what an amazing man. What a noble Fabulous man who had a very difficult life. Very typical life. time, yeah. And then he had so Oh, the much... Civil War, just a little extra something. Oh, yeah, that little thing. <laughs> and how kind he was to other people oh, you read. Yeah. yeah, he was brilliant. There was a great movie on him that, what, Steven Spielberg did, Lincoln, remember that? Oh, that was great, yeah. And I think you'd find that on Netflix. Oh, speaking of Netflix, <laughs> my question. <laughs> was that your transition? That was my transition. Okay. Now that Netflix has been around for a decade, how much more choice do we have in things to watch on Netflix than before? Probably less. That's true. <laughs> That's the trick answer. <laughs> yeah, a fraction of what we had originally. No kidding. This is a story in the New York Times recently reported. Back when Netflix, back when they used to ship DVDs to customers, there were nearly 100,000 different titles to choose from. And now with streaming, because that has a different business model, Netflix doesn't get them forever to run, you know, that's reduced to 6,600 U.S. titles on Netflix now. Wow. And how many before? 100,000. Wow. And we're paying more than we did before. Oh, tons more. <laughs> tons more. And there's a lot more people doing it. Doesn't seem right, does it? No, no, it doesn't. Okay. Why was the chainsaw invented, Bob? And hint, it had nothing to do with logging. I think I remember we did a story on this. Why was the chainsaw invented? What was that for? It was for something 
you're thinking, oh my God, why did they have that for a chainsaw? But I can't remember what if. So what was it used for originally? For childbirth. Oh my God, yes. that's right. I remember yes. reading about that. It was originally a device used to cut through a woman's pelvis oh. who was having difficulty pushing out the baby. Oh my God. And that worked so well. Don't forget, there's no anesthesia. It worked so anesthesia well. That back in the terrible. day. They used it for amputations to cut off your body parts because it would be more swift. Of course. And less painful. Of course. And uh, so that's... Uh, oh God. That's pretty awful to Yo, think no about. No kidding. That's terrible. And it was finally mechanized and then adopted by the timber industry in 1905. <sighs> And Lord. that made logging a whole lot easier. And by then, they were into something to knock you out for your amputations and so forth. But childbirth was still a difficult thing. It, <laughs> they could, you could go under then. Oh, my God. Yeah, isn't that? Oh, that's oh, terrible. Yes, it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, I have a question for you. These are names, names of famous actors and actresses, the real names, okay? Oh, okay. This woman's name is Nita Lee Hirschlag. She is a young actress today. And uh, she's, yeah, Hirschlag, H E R S H L A G. She uh -huh. was born in Israel. She was an understudy on Broadway at 11, and she starred in the Hitman movie The Professional before she turned 13. She starred in it at 13? Y yes. And to protect her family's identity, she adopted her grandmother's maiden name as her stage name. Who is it? You got me. She's not Natalie Hirschlag, she's Natalie Portman. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, she's huge. So she started at a very young age. Very young age. Natalie Portman. Interesting. Okay, here's another one. Who is this? You know her by a very different name. She was originally Ileana Lydia Vasilievna Miranov. Oh, my. Ileana Lydia Vasilieva Miranov. Oh, gosh. I have no idea. Helen Mirren. Oh, is it? Was it? Yeah, she was born to Russian royalty. Actually, not Russian royalty, but she was born to the child of a uh, diplomat who fled Russia and became a taxi driver in the 20th century. Oh, wow. Uh, that's uh, that's quite a handle. Helen Mirren is a, rolls off the tongue a little easier. Well, her British mother anglicized the family name to Mirren in the 1950s. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Yeah, but her, her real name is, I'll try that again, Ileana Lydia Vazi. Livna Mirinov. Okay. Helen Mirren. Yeah. Much better. Which president, while at West Point, was demoted from sergeant to private for wild dancing? <laughs> wild dancing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, think about it. Somebody, somebody that you know. Okay, let me see. Now, Grant was at West Point. I'm, I'm thinking, I knew that Edgar Allan Poe was at West Point. We heard about that. He ran around naked or something. Mm -hmm. He was. This guy was during your lifetime. Really? Yeah. Wild dancing. Yeah. It's not Eisenhower, is it? it? Is. Oh my God! <laughs> See, he's reprimanded for for wild dancing. Yeah, yeah. He was he was demoted, sergeant to private. That's I can't imagine. No. Dwight doing that. <laughs> I wonder how Mamie took that later. Can you picture those two wild dancing together? No, that's I don't think hilarious. So. Is there any more story of that? Do you have any more information on no, that? No, no. Okay, probably it's been hidden. Those are all from Steve, Steve Short. Short. Yeah. Steve Short, he gave us some real good stuff. Thank you, Steve, for some great stuff on presidents. Yeah. What country has the world's longest constitution, and how much longer is it than the U.S. Constitution? Okay. <laughs> you don't know the answer? No. <laughs> India. 
Our constitution has 4,400 words. India's has 145,000. Oh, my word. 145,000 words. It's 33 times longer. That's a lot of constituting. It's the longest constitution of any country in the world. 23 parts, 395 articles, 8 schedules, and over the years, 100 amendments. 100 amendments. Now, we've had a constitution for 250 years, and we've only got 27 amendments to it. They've got (laughs) 100. That's enough. That's enough. Nobody reads that. All right, Bob. Where do we get the term redneck from? Redneck. Let's see. Where would that come from? As used to describe a poor white farmer or laborer from the South. I think it came from because they were out in the sun, and so they they would have sunburn. And they rednecks, if they didn't wear hats, they'd have rednecks. Well, ding, ding. Oh, okay. That's right. The South African Doers, D-O-E-R-S, called British soldiers rednecks for the same reason Southerners got the title rednecks. Only the fair skin of their necks were exposed to the sun, and they often turned bright red. So you got it. Hmm. Which makes sense. Yeah, it does. What's considered the most common spoken word and the most common written word? Uh, I thought the word that was the most common word was run or is, but that's probably neither one right. No. Okay, what are they? The most common spoken word is I. Oh, of course. (laughs) That makes sense. I believe that to be true. And the most common written word is the. Okay. So there you go. The not being a very useful word. (laughs) No, no. It doesn't really depict anything, but you use it for all sorts of things. Okay, Marcia, this is interesting. You'll find this fascinating. In 1923, an American music publisher company successfully sued the composers of an American pop song saying the tune was stolen from Handel's Messiah. What song was it? Now, remember. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What does that sound like? Hallelujah. Yes, we have no bananas. Oh, it doesn't sound like... <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Really? Oh, the Westman my. Publishing Company, the Westman Publishing Company was successful in its suit against the composers of that song, Yes, We Have No Bananas. They proved to the court that the tune was stolen from the opening bars of the Hallelujah Chorus. No kidding. 1923. So they won. Yes. They won the battle. They oh, won. Because, oh, my gosh. <laughs> we well, talk about two vastly different tunes. Oh, my God. Okay, one more music question. Okay. What top pop music singer of the late 50s and early 1960s was a direct descendant of one of our most famous American pioneer adventurers? In fact, he had the same last name. Yes, it starts with a B. (laughs) Uh, First name popped like that, like a P. Bobby Rydell. No, last name starts with a B. First name starts with a P. Pat Boone. He was the great, 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 great grandson of the legendary pioneer Daniel Boone. I'll be darned. Well, that makes sense. Pat Boone. I have a couple of quotes. All right. On marriage. Ogden Nash. Mm. To keep your marriage brimming with love in the wedding cup. Whenever you're wrong, admit it. And whenever you're right, shut up. And I do that, don't I? No, you don't. (laughs) And Will Ferrell has some sage advice. Okay. Before you marry a person, you should make them use a computer with slow internet to see who they really are. (laughs) If they swear or whatever. (laughs) Like how nuts they go, right? Oh, my goodness. That's a good one. That's a good test. That is a very good test of Uh patience, isn't Uh it? Okay, well, we want to thank you for joining us today. Hope we've made your day better and you're not swearing at your earphones. 
I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with many more <laughs> fantastic facts and tantalizing bits of trivia. When we return with The Off-Ramp. When we return <laughs> with The, the Off-Ramp. Ramp. Okay. <laughs> That's the first time I missed it. You forgot it. What happened? No, I, I was, I, you just didn't have the same buildup. Oh, well, there's something wrong with our marriage now. <laughs> Here on The, the Off-Ramp. Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.